Amen. What a great, great song. What a great song. Um, my one defense, my righteousness. I can't get this thing to pull. Oh, it's got a knob on it. That's why. <laughs> um, Lord, I need you. This past week, um, I had the opportunity uh, on Wednesday to travel to Lynchburg, Virginia, at Liberty University and go to a uh, one-day, well, actually, it was a two-day conference, but I just went to one day. Uh, it's called Refuel, and uh, it was mainly for, for people going into ministry, for, for pastors and, and people like that, and so I went with a, a buddy of mine from back home. We met there in the middle, and uh, man, I got to tell you, it was it was an amazing, amazing day, just absolutely uh, the name of the conference is Refuel, and I left there refueled. <laughs> um, but there was one guy there, and I don't know if you, you've ever heard of this guy or not, but his name is Jim Cimbala, and uh, he, he, he's a pastor up at uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle up in uh, Brooklyn, New York. And uh, he, he spoke, and I just got to tell you, man, um, you talk about conviction. I mean, the Holy Spirit was just moving in that place, and, and I, I know I, I looked around the room at one point, I think every single person was on the edge of their seat, just, you know, just, just convicted by the Spirit. And what I took away from that was the fact that, you know, here, here at Chester Christian Church, our purpose is to make much of Jesus and, and reach people with the gospel, disciple people in the gospel, and equip people to share the gospel. And, and, and what I was convicted on is that, you know, if, if people come to this church on Sunday morning and they leave here and all they talk about is, man, the worship was, was great— or, man, you know, they talk about an individual person, you know, or whatever the case may be. And the reality of it is we, we always want to do things with excellence. We always want to, to, to provide great worship. We want to provide great classes. We want to do all those things. But if people come to church here and they leave talking about anything other than Jesus, right, if they walk out of here and they, they talk about any, anybody else other than Jesus, if they leave here, you know, not wanting to know more about Jesus, or if they leave here not convicted of their sin, then, then we've, we've failed as a church. And so I just, man, I just really convicted on that this past week, and so I just want to share that with you guys, and that's, that's what we want to be about. You know, we, we're here uh, for Jesus. It's about Him. Uh, we just sing. You know, our righteousness, it's, it's like filthy rags. Uh, if that's our defense, then we have nothing to stand on. And that's why we need Jesus. And so we're always going to preach Jesus, all right? Um, so let's, let's pray, and then, uh, and then we'll get started. Father God, we just thank you for, uh, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for, um, God, your great love for us. I pray this morning, God, as we continue to worship you through your word, that your spirit will just continue to move in this place. Um, God, that you will just... Uh, convict us where we need to be convicted, uh, that we will see ourselves for how, who we are, and that we will see Jesus for who he is. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Chris, is this thing, is this, is it got feet, is it, is it good? Can you guys hear me all right out there? Are we good? Okay. Well, it's, it's good to be back with you guys. It's, it feels like forever since I've been up here uh, to be able to talk with you guys, and uh, we are just a few weeks away from finishing up our series, uh, Know What You Believe. Have you guys enjoyed the series so far? Yeah? You guys have written some great questions, by the way. Uh, you guys noticed the cards in your seat? 
Uh, if you guys have questions about anything pertaining to the Bible or pertaining to anything that we've discussed so far, uh, feel free to write a question down. And then on November 15th, what we're going to do is a couple of us are going to be up on stage, and we're going to just kind of walk through those questions and answer those questions for you. Uh, and it's going to be a fun time. And I, I have a feeling that after today, uh, there's going to be a lot of questions written down, probably. All right? So uh, just go ahead and be ready for that. Uh, but we're, we're in this series called Know What You Believe. Know What You Believe. And throughout this series, what we've done is we've looked at kind of the core beliefs of Chester Christian Church, the core doctrines of what we believe, and we've asked the question, uh, why do you believe what you believe? And the theme verse for this, uh, this sermon series throughout has been 1 Peter 3, verse 15, and it says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense. And that word defense there is the Greek word apologia. It's where we get our English word apologetics, which means to defend our faith. To anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So, so if anything, uh, if, if nothing else, I hope that this series has really caused you to kind of think and dig into the Word of God. I hope it's caused you to think and dig into the Word of God for yourselves and examine the doubts that you may have uh, with your faith or examine the doubts that you may have with the Bible or with God or with Christianity or with different things like that. I hope it has caused you to, to get into the Word because, listen, I know I stress this a lot, but there is, man, being in the Word of God regularly is one of the most important things you can do. All right? God's written Word is, is what He has revealed Himself to us. Right? The Bible says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what God is like, get into the Word and read through the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He is the image of the invisible God. And you will discover for yourself what God is like through Jesus. But it's also important we have a solid foundation for what we believe. Because all it takes in our life is just one circumstance. One, one situation where things kind of turn bad for us, and we go through a, a difficult uh, circumstance or situation, and, and literally our, our faith can collapse overnight, or we can be, uh, be out and be questioned by a skeptic or an unbeliever, and if we're not sure of what we believe, then we can hear what they're saying, and we can start to kind of fog a little bit, you know, and be like, well, what do I believe? I, I don't know. And so it can really cause uh, our faith to collapse overnight. And so our desire throughout this series is really for you to grow and be discipled in the gospel. Our desire is for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to allow the Word to come alive in you. As you read the Word of God, to let it just uh, marinate and just come alive in you and, and, and allow your love and affection for Jesus to grow. Because we, because uh, listen, God wants to use you to advance the gospel. God wants to use you to advance the kingdom here on earth. And, we, and that's what we want for you to, as well. And so today we're going to be looking at uh, two things, sin and the cross. Sin and the cross, right? And some of the questions that we're going to be asking and answering is this, where did sin come from? Where did sin come from? Why didn't God just prevent sin from happening, right? I mean, if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and he could have done that, why didn't God just prevent sin from, from even entering into the world? Another question we're going to ask is, are we born sinners, like, at conception, are we sinners, right? I don't know if you guys have ever thought about that or not. I don't know if you've ever been in debates about that or not. Uh, but we're going to answer one of the, that, that question. Are, are all people sinners? 
And finally, we're going to look at the cross. And specifically, we're going to look at two words uh, dealing with the cross. And let me just say this. Uh, we could spend numerous weeks on each one of these topics, okay? So this morning, man, I'm just going to kind of just hit both of them briefly. But the two words I want to focus on with the cross uh, is the first word is propitiation. Can you say that with me? Uh, that's pretty good. Uh, it's a biblical word, propitiation. We're going to kind of look at that scripture a little bit. And then the second word is a little easier to say. It's called redemption. All right, so propitiation and redemption. Let me just say this on some of those uh, tougher uh, topics and, and things that we, we talk about uh, that, that's not real clear in Scripture. Uh, man, it's okay to disagree. Right, it's okay to disagree with me. It's okay to disagree uh, because, listen, uh, man, my, my wife and I, we live in the same house, and sometimes we don't always agree on certain things. And we live together, and we live in harmony, we live in unity, and we love each other still. And so what I'm saying is, is you can disagree, and we can still uh, live in, in, in unity with each other, right? You guys agree? All right. So let's, let's, uh, let's do this. Now, uh, I don't think anyone would disagree with the fact that, uh, that uh, we live in a jacked-up world, right? right? And let me just say this to start off. I mean, the, the first half of this sermon is going to be a real Debbie Downer. Okay, it's going to be a real Debbie Downer, and it's got to be. It's got to be, because listen, the, the gospel, the, the good news of the gospel uh, isn't good news unless you know what the bad news is first, right? Uh, that's, that's what the gospel means. It's good news, and good news invades bad spaces, and so we've got to hear the bad news first, right, in order to appreciate the good news. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's no secret that our world is jacked up. And, and contrary, to, contrary to popular belief, things are not getting better. It doesn't matter how advanced technologically we get. It doesn't matter how many Oprah shows we watch. It doesn't matter how many self-help books you read. Uh, just things aren't getting better. It's getting worse. I mean, just look around, right? We see school shooting after school shooting. We see church shootings. We see all kinds of violence and, and, and terrorist attacks, natural disasters that wreak havoc on land and property. And if you're oblivious to the news in the world around us, all you have to do is just look within our own homes. And you can see brokenness, right? I mean, you can see uh, marriages that are struggling, marriages that are falling apart. You can see people who are uh, struggling with addictions, things that just have a hold on them. Lives that are being ruined and messed up because of those things. You can see teenagers that are rebelling against their parents. Right? I mean, all you got to do is just look within the walls of our homes. And listen, we don't even need those, those extreme type of examples in life to show our brokenness because every single person uh, experiences an inability to ever uh, totally be satisfied by an event or an experience. And what I mean by that is this. How many of you guys have ever, uh, how many of you guys look forward to the weekend, right? Like Friday's coming, you're like, man, I look forward to the weekend, right? And, and the weekend never seems long enough, does it? It's like when Sunday comes, it's like, man, it's just, God, I got to go back to work tomorrow, right? We get three-day weekends. We look forward to that, right? We're like, man, three-day weekend, this is awesome. And then once Monday's over, it's like, man, it's back to work the next day, right? We're never satisfied, right? We never, how about, how many of you guys have ever, like, vacation is about over, and you're like, yeah, you're like, <laughs> you know, and you're like, man, I just, it's the inability to ever be satisfied, right? Like, for me, I love football. I love college football in particular, I love being able to go to the actual games. And so I go to some of the Virginia Tech games, and one of my favorite things to do is the tailgate. Right? I look forward to the tailgate. I love, I love the pageantry of college football. I love being in the stands. I love jumping up and down. I love fist bumps. I love all those things. I love cheering for my team, right? And then, and then once uh, the game is over and the announcers sign off and it's time to go back home, 
pack your lunch for the next day at work, it's kind of like, man, you know, you want more of it, right? You want more of it. So it's our inability to ever be satisfied. And surely we think, man, it doesn't have to be like this. Surely there's more to life than this. And so the question is, is how do things get like this? Because we know something's wrong. And so let's, we got to start at the beginning, all right? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Genesis, this very first book of the Bible. We're going to be in Genesis um, 3 is where we're going to be. But I'm just going to kind of briefly walk through Genesis 1 and 2. So Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 9 is where we're going to read. But in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we kind of read the creation account, and it is absolutely beautiful, right? In the beginning, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And listen, that's everything from the macro level to the micro level. That's everything that you can see with your eyes and beyond. We go outside, and we see the expanse of the skies, we see the stars, we see the planets, we see all these things, man. God created those things. And then we, he even created things down to the micro level, things we can't even see with the human eye. God created all of it. He is the author and creator of it all. And every bit of it was created for his glory. And what you see in the creation account is this kind of beautiful, rhythmic harmony. It says, God created. God created. God created. It was good. It was good. It was very good. Everything was perfect, and there was perfect peace, and there was perfect harmony. So I want you to imagine what life was like for Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Like nothing in Genesis 1 and 2 was dead or dying around them. Okay, they didn't experience leaky faucets. They didn't experience leaky roofs. They weren't in danger for their lives. They never experienced fear. Never did they toss and turn at night. Never did they have a cough or a cold. I mean, it was, it was perfect. It was peaceful. They were created from the very beginning to live in a loving, dependent relationship with God. Now, whether or not you know it, we all long for a Genesis 1 and 2 world. That's why we're never sad. We all long for this type of Genesis 1 2 world that we were created for. Unfortunately for us, we live in a Genesis 3 type of world. All right, so let's read Genesis 3 1 through 9. Uh, follow along with me. This is what it says. Now, the serpent, uh, which is Satan, uh, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, This is Satan talking to the woman. Did God actually say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? See how he kind of twists the truth there a little bit? He kind of is already deceiving Eve there. Because uh, that's not what God said. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither, and look, look how Eve adds to the command. Right? God said, just don't eat from it. She adds to it, nor, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when, when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to her eyes, uh, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? 
I don't know, I think verse 8 is probably one of the most heartbreaking verses in the Bible. It says they hid themselves. They hid themselves from God. For the first time, Adam and Eve experience guilt and shame. This perfect relationship between God and man, this perfect peace, this shalom peace of God comes to a screeching halt. And because of that one one disobedience, one act of disobedience, sin entered the world, and the world began to unravel. As a result, disease, famine, natural disasters, aging, death, oppression, war, crime, violence, and much more entered the world. We lost God's peace. We lost God's peace physically, spiritually, socially, psychologically, and culturally. Paul says in Romans 8 that the entire world is now in bondage to decay and subject to futility. So what is sin? Well, simply put, sin is missing the mark. The mark that we miss are are the commands, the rules of God. It's disobedience towards God. 1 John 3, 4 says that everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. So God, the creator of the universe, has set a standard. He has given us the rule book to follow. He gave Adam and Eve one command, one rule, don't eat from this one tree. And then later on in the book of Exodus chapter 20, he would give Moses and the Israelites the Ten Commandments. Now the, the rules, the commands that God gives us are not meant to be a killjoy for us. Right? They're not meant to, to take the fun out of life, but rather when obeyed and followed, they lead to a fuller life and they lead to joy in God. But Satan, who is described as the father of lies, doesn't want us to experience that joy. And in and, and, and John 10.10, 10, Satan is described as one who comes to steal and kill and destroy. So Satan's first attack with Adam and Eve is to deceive them into thinking, hey man, God is holding out on you. God doesn't have your best interest in mind for you. He says, you will, you will not surely die, for God knows that your eyes will be open and you will be like God. And so we see that the root of sin is idolatry. It's self-seeking, it's self-centeredness, it's putting ourselves or someone else or something in the place of God, and therefore all sin is directed against God. Sin is our attempt to sit on the throne of God and to rule our own lives, to control our own lives. It's our way of saying, God, we know better than you. We know better than you. And so a lot of times people ask the question, man, if God knew that this was going to happen, if God is all-powerful and all-knowing, Man, if he knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin, why didn't he prevent it? Why didn't God prevent it? Well, the answer to that question is this. If God had uh, made Adam and Eve, we were made in, in God's image. And so God could have easily made Adam and Eve to just automatically love God and obey him all the time. But then we wouldn't be made in God's image, right? Because we are, we are made in his image, it means we, we have free will choice. We can choose to obey or we can choose not to obey. Adam and Eve had that choice. If God made us to where we always loved and obeyed and, 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 and never had a choice, we'd be, we, all we would be is talking robots, right? And it wouldn't be love, right? We, we would love because God forced us to love. It wouldn't be out of obedience. It wouldn't be out of love that we love God. And so that's why God didn't prevent. We have choice. Now, in Romans 5.12, the Bible pictures Adam as our reverence. You can write these scriptures down, by the way, and kind of go back and look at them. 
We just don't have time to go through and read all of them. But in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, the Bible pictures Adam as kind of our representative when he sinned. All right? so, so in other words, because Adam sinned, we are all born with a sinful nature. A natural bent towards sin. Right? If anyone here has ever had children, you recognize that it doesn't take long for self-centeredness to show up in that child. Right? I've, got a, I've got an almost two-year-old named Shepherd at home. Right? And let me tell you something, that dude is self-centered. Right? It's all about him. Right? If, if Jude, his older brother, touches a toy that, that he's not even playing with, he goes berserk. Right? He goes crazy. Right? You see that in children. You can recognize that. Right? But let me emphasize something here, because some people believe that when we are born, we actually inherit Adam's sin. And so what they believe is, is that we are actually born Sinners. At conception, we are sinners. They use Psalm 51.5 where David confesses his sin against Bathsheba. And he says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now, I'm just giving you my personal opinion here, okay? My personal opinion is I believe that David was not referring to the act of conception as sinful, but of his sinful nature. And so I do not believe that when babies are born, they are born sinful. That's why we don't practice infant baptism here. Okay? However, do I believe that my five-year-old son, Jude, is a sinner? Absolutely. Absolutely. Has my, has my five-year-old son, Jude, sinned? Absolutely. Now the question is, is does my five-year-old son, Jude, recognize that when he sins, he's violating God's law? No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. And so, so for me, when I look at the God of the Bible and I read through Scripture, and even from my own personal uh, life experience, I just believe that God's grace and mercy is bigger than that. Okay? I believe that God's grace and mercy is, is bigger than that, and I think that there is grace for those young infant babies and those young children who sin because they're they're born with a sinful nature and they're going to, they're, they're, their natural bent is towards sin, and so they're going to sin. But I think God's grace is bigger than that. Uh, I love what Abraham says in Genesis eighteen twenty five. He says, Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So I just believe that God is going to deal justly. He's full of grace and mercy. All right? But, but regardless of how you believe, the Bible makes it clear that we are all sinners. Right? Do you agree with that? Romans three ten and 12 says, uh, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God, all have turned aside. And then a few verses later, Romans three twenty three, he says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I know this is, uh, again, this is kind of a little deep for us, and so I want us to kind of mix it up a little bit. So let's have, let's have some fun. You guys want to have some fun? All right? As Rob, Robin was reading through this sermon, she's like, Man, matter of fact, I've pared it down a lot. The first time she read through it, she says, man, this is way too deep. You got you to gotta, you gotta trim it down. So, because she was like, I, I was falling asleep. I was like, all right, I don't want people falling asleep. So, everybody stand up. If you're, able, if you're physically able to stand up, stand up for me. We're going to have a little fun here. All right? All right. So, let's, let's play a little game. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spout out some, some, some Ten Commandments here. All right? And if you've broken the one that I spout out, then you just sit down, okay? And we're going to see here uh, if, 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 if the Bible is true that we're all sinners, all right? What, what's so funny? What? Nah, wait, I haven't, nah, wait a minute. Now. 
Uh, I'm not going to get too personal on you, okay? All right, so anybody here ever committed murder? Be careful now. <laughs> All right, so everybody's still standing. That's good. That's good. Anybody here ever coveted their neighbor's donkey? Tom, you've, that's right. In Haiti, that's right. He, in Haiti, he did. <laughs> that's, last year in Haiti, he did. That's, <laughs> actually, if I had a stool up here, I'd sit down myself. Um, I, <laughs> oh, man. Anybody here ever told a lie? Told a lie. Oh, I guess that wipes everybody out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but here's the thing. Here's what I want you to understand, okay? All right? What I want you to understand this morning is that it's more, listen to me, it's more than just sinful acts that makes us sinners. It's more than just lying. It's more than just coveting. It's more than just murder, okay? It's, it's more than that. Listen, and this is what I mean by that. Jesus really makes an effort to point this out in the New Testament. And you see this in the Gospels when he says... In several places, in Matthew 12, you can see it. In Luke chapter 6, he says it. But Jesus, and he even uses illustrations about tree and its fruit. All, he says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, Jesus takes the commands, the rule of God, the rules of God, and, and he goes to the heart of the command. Jesus, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount says, You have heard it said, that you shall not murder. But I say to you that anyone who even hates his brother has committed... See, Jesus goes to the heart, doesn't he? He goes to the heart. He says, he says you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that if you even look at a woman lustfully, right? I mean, there's, there's a cool story in Luke chapter 18 where this rich young ruler approaches Jesus and he says, Good teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one's good but God. And then he says, You know the commands, what are they? And Jesus lists off like three or four commands. Don't murder, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Right? He lists off kind of some basic, simple commands. And this, this, this young rich ruler says to himself, I've done that, I've kept this since I was youth. I'm, I'm pretty good. But see, Jesus isn't after external behavior. He's not after behavior modification. And he says, you still lack one thing, my friend. You still lack one thing. And he attacks the man's heart. He attacks the man's idol. The thing that he had placed before God, and he tells him to sell everything he owns and give it to the poor. And it says that the man walked away sad because he couldn't let go of his idol. Jesus attacks the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the human heart is deceitful above all things. John 3, 19 says that the light, Jesus, came into the world, but people loved darkness. Listen, we are wicked people. Our heart is deceitful. And what I want you to see is that the purpose of the rules is not for us to check them off the list and say, well, I'm doing pretty good. I've kept most of these all my life. No, the purpose is to show us that we fall way short of God's standard. Romans 7, 7, Paul says, man, the the law was, uh, if it had not been for the law, then I would not have known what sin was. And so the purpose of the law is to show us that we we fall short. And what we like to do is we like to kind of categorize our sins, like little sins or big sins, right? 
Or we compare ourselves to other people around us, and we say things like, we say things like, uh, yeah, I'm a pretty good person, right? I haven't committed murder. I haven't stolen anything. I haven't, you fill in the blank, however you, however you work that out. Or we say, at least I'm not like Joe, my neighbor, who, is, uh, who gets drunk every weekend and, and loses his temper and cusses like a sailor. Right? At least I'm not like Joe. But see, the problem with that is, is we will always find someone that we are better than. But compared to the infinite holiness and righteousness of God, we're not even on the same planet. We're not even on the same planet. We all fall short. Our hearts are wicked, and Jesus is in the business of passionately pursuing people's hearts. It's not just about being a good person or a good, a good man or a good woman. It's not. It's about, being, uh, it's about having your heart changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Finally, what I want you to see is that sin makes us guilty. See, we are guilty of trying to take the throne from God and rule our own lives. Because God is infinitely good and holy, the Bible says that he hates sin. Psalm 45, 7 says that you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Whenever someone is declared guilty, there is a debt that has to be paid, right? If if you're in a a courtroom and somebody has been convicted, they've been saying, hey, you're guilty of this crime, they have to pay a debt, right? They, They owe. They have to spend time in prison or whatever the case may be. Our debt is eternal punishment in hell. That's what our debt is. Eternal punishment in hell. And there is nothing, and here's the the part that's this bad for us, there's nothing that we can do about this. The Bible in Romans 5, 6 describes our situation as weak and helpless. I mean, there's there's, there's no pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps here. There's nothing that we can do uh, about our sin. And see, that's the biggest thing. Our problem is not our sin, right? Our problem, is not our, our problem is that we can't fix our sin. That's our problem. We can't fix our sin. I mean, we're, we're not just down, but we're out. Do you see that? Like, our situation is, is hopeless. Now, this is bad news. And, and the question that the Bible asks throughout is, is, you know, a lot of times people ask this question. and say, you know, how can a loving God send people to hell? How can a loving, gracious, kind God send people to hell? That's the wrong question. That's not the right question to ask. Because the question that the Bible asks throughout is how can a holy, righteous God be loving and kind towards rebellious sinners that are due his wrath? That's the question. How can a holy, righteous God be loving and kind towards rebellious sinners that are due his wrath? Can I tell you about the cross? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, that's a great word, great, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were still rebellious, while we were still trying to to take the throne from God, Christ died for us. I want to just give you two words and what they mean for us. The first one we've already said is propitiation. It means, this is what propitiation means. It means an offering turning away wrath. An offering turning away wrath. 
Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 says, For this reason, God the Son, Jesus Christ, came into the world in human flesh to be the perfect sacrifice for sin and make propitiation for the sins of the people. Romans 3, 24 and 25 says, We are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. What I want you to understand this morning is that the first, first and foremost, the cross of Jesus was actually for God Himself. The cross of Jesus was for God Himself. All of humanity's sins were placed on Jesus at the cross. On the cross, Jesus experienced uh, an eternity in hell so that we wouldn't have to. Hebrews 10.31 says it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of God. See, Jesus on the cross took all of our sins, and it turned God's wrath away from us. That's what propitiation is. Jesus bore all of our sins, turning God's wrath away from us. It was directed towards us and focused it all on Jesus Christ. And you got to think about, man, you, we, we think about the cross, and we think about what Jesus went through on the cross, and we think about the physical agony and pain. Yes, the physical agony and pain was, was huge, but, but, but where Jesus suffered the most was spiritually. I mean, you see it all the way back into the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is praying. It says he's praying, and his sweat becomes like drops of blood. And then while he's on the cross, he cries out, and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The spiritual agony that Christ went through. Hmm. Another question that people ask is, why couldn't God just forgive sin? Why, why did Jesus have to suffer? Well, why couldn't God, if he's so holy and powerful and awesome and this, why couldn't he just dismiss our sin? Well, he couldn't do that because that would go against his character. God is infinitely good. He is infinitely holy. He is righteous. And for God to just overlook sin would, would be a violation of God's character. There's always a price. There's always a price of forgiveness. If anybody here has ever forgiven somebody, you know that. There's a price. There's a cost to forgiveness. And the cost to our forgiveness was his own son. The sacrifice of his own son. Mm. So what we see at the cross is that God is not merely a God of wrath, but also a God of love. This is beautiful, right? Because at the cross, what we see is we see the God of wrath and we see the God of love meeting at the cross. Right? Isn't that a beautiful thing? Christ turns away God's wrath towards us. God takes the initiative. He comes towards us, providing the sacrifice for us. 1 John 4.10 says that in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, God is the one who takes the initiative. He sent Christ in because of his great love. The second word that I want to focus on is redemption. It means a payment of price set, uh, set someone or something free. 1 Peter 18 and 19 says that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Ephesians 1, 7 says that in him we have redemption through his blood. So what exactly did Christ set us free from? 
Well, Romans 6 tells us that we were redeemed from slavery to Satan and sin. Which means that we are no longer have to live with guilt and shame. We no longer have to, uh, to live with the guilt and shame that sin brings. We no longer have to listen to Satan's lies that we're, not, that we're failures. That God doesn't love us because we are children of God. We're no longer slaves to those things. It also means, uh, that, that means what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that we are a new creation in Christ. That the old is gone and the new has come. One writer said that, that Jesus doesn't just put a new suit on the man. He actually puts a new man in the suit. Right? God, God, God changes us and transforms us. He gives us a new heart. It means that through the power of the Holy Spirit and being in God's Word and being in relationship with Him, we have the power to live for Him and obey Him out of gratitude for His love. But He's also redeemed us from the penalty of sin. He paid our debt in full. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Which means we are no longer obligated to pay the penalty of sin because Christ has paid it for us. We've been redeemed. No longer are we objects of God's wrath, but we are children of God. And that is the good news of the gospel, amen? Jesus has done this for you. He's done this for you. So what I want us to do now is I want us to take some time uh, to just remember that sacrifice. Uh, every single week here at Chester Christian Church, we, uh, we do what's called communion. And we uh, take uh, bread and we take juice. The bread uh, represents Christ's body that was hung on a cross for you. And the juice represents his blood that was shed to cover over our sins. And what I want you to do during this time is as the men come forward and they pass the bread and the juice out, I just want you to take some time and I just want you to kind of think and reflect upon what we've talked about. I know it's been a lot. I know it's kind of been heavy. But I want you to think about that. And I want you to think about where you're at. And I want you to kind of celebrate the victory that we have in Christ. The sacrifice that, we, that he made for us. So I'm going to pray for us and give you guys an opportunity, give you guys a space to kind of do that. And then I'll come back up and give us some further instructions. Father God, we just thank you so much for your great love. We thank you for uh, Jesus and his sacrifice. Father, I know it's hard sometimes for us to, to really dig deep and to examine our own hearts and to see just how wicked we are. God, we, we, we want to think that we're, we're, we're good people. But Father, compared to you, we're, our deeds are like filthy rags. So, Father, I pray that during this time we would just do some self-examination. God, that we would just really uh, look and examine the, the motive behind the actions that we, that we do. And why, why do I do these things? Why, why am I? God, that we would search our hearts. And then, and then we would just be able to see how beautiful the cross is and how beautiful Jesus is and what he has done for us and what he's accomplished for us. Father, that's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.